Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Without further ado, I want to bring in my my very special guest, Evangelist Preston Shuttlesworth, who is an evangelist that God is raising up, has raised up, and is continuing to raise up, is going to do a wonderful, I believe, an indelible mark for our generation. He is a powerful voice for uh, for, for God on the earth today, and uh, he's just getting started, and if this is where he's getting started, I know the Bible says, despise not, the day is a small beginning, but if this is a small beginning for this preacher, I, I'm just looking forward to where God's going to bring him, and so without further ado, I'd love to bring him on. Evangelist. Hey. What's up, everybody? Good to be on the broadcast today. If you can let me know in the comment section if you can hear his audio and everything perfectly well, I'd hate for like to be 30 minutes into this and then have to look back and like, oh man, you know, you just heard an echo or stuff. So let me know if the audio is nice and crisp. Um, Preston, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm a 22-year-old evangelist. I'm in Virginia Beach, Virginia right now. Uh, and so I've been traveling for the past two years, went to... Uh, Valor Christian College, which is a Bible school in Columbus, Ohio, under Dr. Rod Parsley, uh, finished there. And then since then, I've been traveling on the road. And it was actually interesting because the first year I felt called to full-time evangelistic ministry and traveling, COVID broke out. And so it was a very interesting time to be an evangelist and being a traveling minister, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, TJ, with all of that, yeah. probably more so. But uh, as I've been faithful to do that, God's opened doors, uh, doing youth conferences, camps, uh, revival meetings. Just came back from California a few weeks ago, did a full week of revival there, and uh, Indiana a couple weeks ago. And then I'm just getting back from Florida where I was at a minister's conference. And so just traveling, um, going places as the Lord opens up the doors and being faithful. And uh, it's been great. And so it's awesome because I was on this broadcast last year, and it's amazing to see how much... Uh, the audience has grown and everything has grown for your ministry. And I'm just excited to be here today. It's going to be really fun, especially with the topic we have, which is going to be a lot of fun to do. So I'm excited. I'm super excited for today's topic because the reason <laughs> why I, I had Evangelist Preston on to do this today is because he has a Twitter account that he just started and he's also very <laughs> active on Instagram. So if I were you after this broadcast, I would follow him on Instagram. And he'll give you the details afterward. But he, he has an amazing commentary. Some would even m might call him the Don Rickles of Christian comedy. <laughs> he has a, a great commentary on certain things and he, he always comes up with these statements that are so ridiculous that people say in a robotic fashion. They don't even know what they're saying. They just say it because they've been fed that their whole life and so they just vomit it out at will without even knowing the damage that's being done through their words. And so I titled this broadcast today, Five Statements You Need to Stop Saying. Five statements, five destroyed Destructive statements that need to be pulled from your vernacular. A lot of people, they just spew out whatever they've heard, whatever they, you know, they, oh, I've, I've seen an Instagram meme that says this or a post that said that. It sounded nice. A lot of things have a camouflage of spirituality, but deep down, like Jesus said, it's actually full of dead men's bones. It's full of death. It's full of nothing. It's it's empty substance. There's absolutely nothing to it. You will, and, and the reason why I wanted to do these five specific there's way more than five we have to actually narrow it down 
um, uh, intentionally down to five because it's way more than five. But if we went on to seven, eight, nine, ten, we'd probably be here all all day. And uh, I have I have other things to do, and I'm sure he does too. But the reason why I wanted to do this is because the power of your confession is something that matters. Your confession matters. The power that's released through your confession is it is the most almost the most powerful substance in the universe the bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue so what you confess is what you're going to possess what you speak is what you will have uh mark eleven twenty three says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed you will say to this mountain be removed from this place and be cast into the midst of the sea and if you don't doubt what you say will happen you will have what you say so there is a spiritual law there that Jesus spoke saying you're gonna have what you say you can't escape it no amount of prayer no amount of fasting will substitute what you say what you say matters. You will never rise higher than your level of confession. You'll never, you will never rise higher. Your life is going to be determined by what you confess on a daily basis. And so I thought it a great idea. Actually, before I do that, let me just read one scripture. And then I'm going to light the fuse and let Preston burn. But let me just read one scripture. Ephesians chapter 4. I had this pop into my spirit before when I was praying. And it just makes so much sense. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. This is what Paul says. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. So there you have it once. Paul talks about speaking and saying, speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who has need. Uh, verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to them that hear. Verse 30, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So there are certain statements people make that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says we're not to let any corrupt word. What does corruption mean? Corruption mean? Corruption means something that has lost its purity, something that has lost its its straightforwardness, something that has lost its its um. It's purity. There's no other way to say it. It's something that has lost its 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 right righteousness. When that happens, it's it becomes a corrupt thing. And when you know the Bible says God is not mocked, you will reap what you sow. If you sow these corruptive statements that I'm going to we're going to talk about today, you're going to reap a harvest of corruption for your own life. So it's very important to let, do what David said in the book of Psalms to set a guard over your mouth and keep watch over the door of your lips because it's through a man's mouth that his life will be satisfied. Your mouth is a production center. What you produce in here is what you're going to see manifest out there. Your life today is a product of the words that you spoke yesterday. So that's why we're, we're going to go through these five. Before I do that, Preston. Yeah. Um, I mean, with this first one, it's so silly. Again, this is the first one we're doing. Preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. As you were uh, preaching, I just felt to read out of Romans 10 because almost every promise in the Bible, in the word of God, is voice activated. 
You can't even receive salvation without confession. The Bible says you have to confess that Jesus is Lord and that the Father raised him from the dead and believe in your heart. So you can't even receive salvation from God without using your words. And so this first statement is pretty ridiculous. And I want to do this from a standpoint of not trying to mock, not trying to belittle people, but just trying to stick to the word of God, because this is why we're doing this. We're not doing this to make fun of people. We're not doing this to belittle people. We're doing this so people will begin confessing things that are in this Bible and not just on some blog somewhere by someone that's too emotional. Amen. And so in Romans 10, I want to read you the words of Paul that he says here in verse 13, he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Without someone preaching. Verse 15, Romans 10. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so with this first statement, it's so funny because how can you preach the gospel without speaking? The Bible clearly states, like, how can someone be saved unless someone is sent to them to preach the word of Christ for them to receive salvation? And so what does it even mean? How can you communicate the gospel without preaching the word of Christ? I want someone to explain that to me that believes in this first statement. It's impossible to preach the gospel without opening up your mouth and confessing the word of Almighty God. That's how people are saved. I can even go back, not even from the New Testament, go back to the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. How did God create the world? Did God get on his hands and knees and form things like no, he spoke and things were. The only thing he made with his hands was mankind as he formed them from the dust. Everything else, God spoke and it was. Let there be light and there was light. Moon be, sun be, stars be, land be, oceans be. Everything else, God spoke it into existence and in doing so revealed his nature of how he operates. He operates by his word and his word cannot return unto him empty or void but it must accomplish the thing that it was sent to do. And let me tell you something. This first statement is borderline, I'll, I'll, I would say, demonic. Because really, the devil's the one that wants you to not use your mouth. Because the devil understands better than most Christians do the power that's in your tongue. The Bible says the power of life and death are in your tongue. And so you can't go through life thinking that your confession, how you speak, uh, being negative, having a negative outlook on your life, speaking death over situations, that it has no uh, value or it has no uh, importance. It has a mighty, mighty importance because the fruit of your mouth will be the fruit of your life. As you speak, as you believe in your own heart, as these things occur, it's vitally, vitally important to have a guard over your mouth like Evangelist TJ just said. You know, the Bible compares your tongue to the rudder of a ship. And if you, if you know like old ship terminology, that's the part of the ship that steered it in the direction that it was going to go and sail towards. And so you have to understand that your words matter mightily. And you can't preach the gospel without someone preaching. And it's so funny because 
as I've seen like this past year and a half or two years, I guess now with COVID stuff, there's been such an attack on how there's not an importance of the preaching of the gospel, that you can have church at your house, that you can do things from your home, you can have small groups. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but they are not the end all be all of what the Bible says the church should operate in. It firstly is something that preachers preach into the world and then people receive. God works through people by his word, always has. God needs vessels of people that will preach his word so that the world can be changed. It's not going to happen because it's going to fall from the sky. It's not going to happen just because it's supposed to. No. The Bible says that the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given unto man. And so you take authority as someone that's anointed by God by your speaking and by the things that you confess with your mouth. You know, I'm reminded of the centurion man in Matthew 8, that he impressed Christ not with faith in the power of his hand, but faith in the authority of the word. That he said, as you know the story, that he had a servant that was sick. And so he came to Christ and he asked him to come to his house and uh, or that he needed help for his servant. And so Jesus said, okay, I'll come and heal your servant. I'll come to your house. I'll lay my hands upon him. Person. But notice the faith of the centurion man wasn't satisfied with that. He said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should have to come to my house and come all the way there and lay your hands on my servant. But if you would speak the word only, if you're in the comment section, type that in, speak the word only. And as he said that, the word of God declares in Matthew 8 that Jesus was so impressed with this faith that he had not even seen faith like this in all of Israel. And the faith that impressed him, well, again, was not the power in his hand, but it was the authority of his word. And so that is the faith that the people of God have to get in their spirit, that one word from God can change everything. And I've heard a preacher say this, and I think it's so powerful. The word of God is just as powerful in our mouth as it is in God's mouth, because it's the same word. We're filled with the same spirit. We've been resurrected with Christ. Amen. We're a new creation. And so as you begin to speak, as you begin to preach, there's things that are in the world that must come into alignment with the word of God. It's not the other way around. You don't have to use the word of God to explain why things occur in the world. No, you speak the word into the life, into the world, excuse me. And then the world has to line up with what the word of God has made available. And so again, going back originally to the first statement, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's impossible to differentiate and separate the two. They go hand in hand. Preaching and faith are activated by the speaking of the word coming out of the believer's mouth. That's right. And you know, the reason why I wanted to put this one first is that recently I posted a video to TikTok. And it talks about how, like, if you don't speak, they're not going to get saved. And it, it went viral, like, to a level that I would think viral. It had, like, 30-something thousand views, which, is, for me, that's viral. Wow. And the comments yeah. I got, 95% were very, very good comments, very support, like, you know, amen, praise the Lord. It inspired people. But you had 5% of people that wrote that uh, love is the higher way, that ultimately, like, and, and some people wrote, preach the gospel, but sometimes you don't have to use words. Love is the higher way. People need to feel your love before they feel. And it just irked me and it irritated me to the point 
where I, I started writing back to these people. Then I realized these people are just trolls. They don't actually want to hear from you. They're just, you know, they just put whatever. But it irritated me because the, the reason the devil wants this type of thinking and words coming out of your mouth is to literally get you to back down, to sit down and make stupid statements like if God wants them saved, they're going to get saved. There's nothing you can add to it and there's nothing you can subtract to it. The, Lord of the, the, word of the, the will of the Lord will be done. That is not true because if I'm, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 10. Cornelius receives a, a vision from an angel the angel tells Cornelius, not the gospel, but to send for Peter, who out of his mouth would speak the gospel to him so that he and his household could be saved. When Peter gets right. to the household, Cornelius speaks up and says his testimony. I was praying. I was fasting. At the ninth hour, an angel came to me and he told me to fetch for you to hear words from your mouth by which I and my house can be saved. So Cornelius mm -hmm. did not receive the gospel from angels. God wanted to move on Cornelius's house, but God's moving on the earth is dependent upon our cooperation with him. You know, the scripture in, in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 69, rings deep in my spirit right now. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, seeking one person who's loyal to him and his word, that he might show him, himself strong, not apart from him, but show himself strong through him. God does not work apart from people. God works with people and it's not the gospel and then there's love the gospel is the greatest demonstration of love that has ever been made mm -hmm. and never been had you know romans 5 8 says god demonstrated his love how did he do that by sending his son to the cross that while we were yeah. still in sin christ died for the ungodly the message of the gospel is love and like evangelist preston said there's no separating the two there's not love and then there's the gospel if necessary the message of the gospel when you preach the gospel message you're actually ministering god's love to people john 3 316 right. god so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son the mess the gospel itself is the demonstration of god's love and to say that preaching is not you know we've moved on to better things or we've moved on to more uh more relative and culture culturally relative means and methods to get the, get people saved you can't get people saved without the gospel there's no substitute for the gospel there's no cultural right. adaptation that the word of god needs to go through in order to fit our generation paul said i'm not ashamed of the gospel of the lord jesus christ for in it is the power of god i don't care how dark and how gloomy and how wicked and how evil this world gets the gospel is still the power of god on to salvation to them that believes and it offends some some people might not want anything to do with it paul preached it in athens and the bible says some joined him others mocked him and some said we'll hear you again there's different reactions people will have to the gospel but the fact remains the same if this gospel is not preached people are not going to get saved if the word is not going right. forth then salvation will not be birthed in the people's hearts you know the bible says that jesus went up about went about the, the the cities of Galilee and he was teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and then healing so there was a presentation before there was a demonstration right. 
And so people aren't going to receive God's best for their life if they just, you know, you can't just go around giving hugs. Jesus wasn't having a hugging booth. He didn't have like some hugging booth where just people feeling the warmth of his body just felt like, man, I need to repent of sin. I don't feel like I should sleep with that man anymore or that woman anymore. I need to change my ways. That's not how things, people repented. Remember, Acts chapter 2, Peter preached with many other words. He exhorted to that generation, be saved from this perverse generation. And the Bible says they were pricked to the heart as they heard him speak they were pricked in the heart and they responded sir what was what must we do to be saved that response comes only when there's a clear concise accurate powerful presentation of the gospel of jesus christ that i'm glad we, we started that off because we would have probably stayed in the <laughs> intro for far too long but i want to move on to point number two and i'm gonna i'm gonna read it and then preston you take it away Get, this is the second statement we have down that is a ridiculous, foolish statement because it's totally anti-biblical. It has no, no bearing in the Bible. There's no root or foundation scripturally that you can actually use to support this statement. And here's what it is. Give me the faith. Now, this is going to irritate some people because maybe you've prayed this many times. This, this is not to irritate you. Like Evangelist Preston said, this is just to reveal that certain statements we make robotically have no biblical foundation and we need to remove them because faith says what God says. I don't want to say what man says. I want to say what God says. This is it. Give me the faith to change the things I can, the strength to endure the things I cannot, and the wisdom to know the difference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, as we were talking about, I, I realized every single one of these statements it really comes back to people trying to explain from the Bible why things never change in their life. Pretty much every single one of these statements are excuses as to why things never get better for someone's life. And so I can imagine, and again, I'm not trying to belittle anybody, but there was probably some preacher back in the day that just had defeat after defeat, could never understand why things never changed. And so what happens is when things like that happen, people have to shape their doctrine of how they believe God, or how they believe his word to make their life make sense. And so something you have to get in your spirit today from this broadcast is that pain does not change the promise and tragedy will never change your theology of who God is. And a lot of these statements are because of that. TJ just said one. I don't have it written down, but I'm sure we've all seen it. I'm sure we all have some aunt somewhere that has it on a painting in their kitchen somewhere or something like that about how we have to accept things that we can't change. And then we have to believe God for him to reveal to us the things that we can and then give us the wisdom to know the difference. Well, how do you know the difference? The Bible, because the will of God is the word of God. And so I don't have to second guess what is God's will and what is it goes back to another statement that I don't think we have today because there's so many that we could really have done. But that statement about, you know, Lord, if you're willing, you can do A, B, or C. Lord, if you're willing, you can heal my body. Lord, if you're willing, you can do this or that or this or that. But you have to understand that the Lord is willing, that God he isn't just able to do something. He wants to do it. And he wants to do it. Why? Because he loves you. Because he wants you to be healthy in your body. He wants you to go to heaven and spend eternity with him. He wants you to have freedom from anxiety and depression. Do you think it's God's will 
for somebody to commit suicide and end their life at 27? Or do you think it's God's will for them to get saved, get full of the Holy Ghost, become a preacher, to have a, a ministry that will change the globe, whatever it might be? Do you think it's God's will to give cancer to children and have them die when they're six and seven years old? Do you think that's God's will? Do you think it's God's will that he wants people to be so poor that they can't buy diapers for their children? They can't buy food for their family. They can't buy a turkey at Thanksgiving. Because with all of these statements, I don't think I could believe in a God like they believe in. I don't think I could believe in a God that would tempt or he would try to humble his children with things that he's already redeemed them from. It would be insanity. For God to do what he did through the salvation and the blood of Jesus Christ to deliver them from all of the things of the devil, all of the things that sin brought into the world, and then to tempt them and send them things to teach them a lesson, to make them humble, to, to change them in some way that will make them better. It, it requires a total uh, suspension of belief to understand that God would send you the very thing he redeemed you from. And so when it comes to changing things that you can and whatever cannot, you can understand what God wants to change from the word of God. And I can tell you with 100% certainty, God wills to see everyone saved. God wills to see everyone healed. God wills to see everyone set free from the oppression of the devil. He's no respecter of persons. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord has a desire to save, to set free, to heal, to deliver every single person that calls upon him by faith. And that's the difference. And that's what me and TJ, Evangelist TJ, like to focus on is that thing called faith. Because it doesn't matter if all of these promises that we talk about, and I'm sure Evangelist TJ talks about them all the time, but if all these promises are there for you, but you never have the password to access what's in your account, then it doesn't matter. Because though Christ, for instance, died for the entire world, the entire world will not be in heaven one day, will they? No. Though Christ gave up his life to save all of humanity, hell will be jam-packed with people. Why is that? Because though a promise is available, you can't access the promise without approaching God by faith. Because God's not moved by need. God's moved by faith. If God was moved by need, there would be no need. But as we can see, we live in a world that's broken and is full of need. You watch those commercials on TV about children that need food and uh, natural disasters in Haiti and wherever else. And there's always a need. There's always a problem. There's always destruction. There's always poverty. Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. Not because he doesn't, because it's his will that they be poor, but because people don't get a this word and declare over their life by faith and see things change. You know, Christians, they like to have their name on the prayer request bulletin for six months and seven years, and they have the same issue and the same problem, and nothing ever changes, and they wonder why. And then they create crazy doctrine like we're dealing with today about why that thing never changes. Well, I know God wills to heal some, but not me. And I know God healed my cousin, but he won't heal me because... He's teaching me a lesson for A, B, and C I did in my past. And, 
You know, there's all this stuff that people have to conjure up and create to dismiss the delivering power of Almighty God. And so I want you to understand today that God is just looking for faith. He's not looking for the skin color you are. He's not looking for the gender you are. He's not looking for how tall you are, or what color your hair is, or whatever else, whatever natural attribute you want to give. God only respects faith. And when your faith says yes, God will never say no. So it's not about understanding what God wants to change and what he doesn't want to change. It's about getting in the word of God to the point where faith comes alive and you know what he wants to change. And then you have the faith to speak to life and make it change. And so, again, all of these statements, all of them are rooted in something where people couldn't change something. But understand what we believe is something called cause and effect. That if I do something, God will do something. Because God has always worked that way throughout the Bible. He worked that way with Abraham. He worked that way with Moses. He worked that way with Isaac. That if you do the thing I tell you to do, I'll bless you in everything that you do. Amen. I want to show you. I just felt to read one verse out of Deuteronomy 28 uh, at the end. Let's see here. Because... Cause and effect is something that is lacking in the body of Christ. People think things just happen for random reasons. But I want to show you a verse in Deuteronomy 28, in verse 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, but flee before you seven ways. Verse 8, Deuteronomy 28, in the ESV I'm reading. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Verse 9, the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you. So it's a promise. If, again, if, I would circle that in my Bible because that happens all the time with God. He wants to do something, comma, if, what? You do something as well. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways and all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity. Hallelujah. In the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your livestock, in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. I mean, I could keep reading that whole chapter, really, but. What I wanted you to see there is that God wants to bless you. We understand that. But there is an if. There is something that we have to do. And what was the command? To obey and keep the commandments of the Lord your God or the word. He spoke the same word to Joshua in Joshua 1, where he said, If you faithfully obey the word I give you, if you meditate upon it day and night, if it becomes the meditation of thine heart, Then I'll give you success in all that you do, and you'll possess the land that the sole of your feet shall tread upon. And so again, God works that way. God wants to give you the best of life. God wants to make sure that you're blessed, that you have more than enough, that you're a blessing to your generation, that you're not having to ask, but you become the lender, not the borrower. But just because that's available, there are Christians who will be poor to the day they die. Why? Because they never get the second part about if you keep the commands, if you obey the word, if you approach God by faith, then it's accessible. It would be insane 
if you were receiving an inheritance from someone, uh, a relative that was wealthy, and you went to the inheritance meeting and you sat down and they presented to you the contract of what would be available to you through the inheritance of this family member that passed away, and you said, well, I know that so-and-so wanted to give me his house and $500,000, but you know what? I'm just going to not go to the inheritance meeting. I'm not going to sign my name on the dotted line because I don't need his blessing. I just wanted his whatever, you know, and that's how Christians are with God, where there's so much that is made available to them. There's so much that has their name written on it, but they can't access it because they don't receive the faith to walk in it. You know, not to ramble or anything, but I saw this news story, TJ, about this guy. I'm sure everyone at this point has heard of Bitcoin, which is up by the, today, by the way. But anyways, there was this guy who bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin like seven years ago, right? And he put it in this account and he completely forgot about it. And then seven years went by and this thing like skyrocketed in value. I think when he bought it, it was like $25 and then it went to like $20,000 at the time of the news store. This was like a year and a half ago. Now, now it's like 65,000 or something. But anyways, the amount of Bitcoin that he bought seven years ago was now worth over $220 million. He had $220 million worth of Bitcoin in this account. But here's the catch. The news story said that he set up the account in a way where he had three oh, password attempts on the account. And if he got it wrong three times in a row, the money would freeze and he'd have no access to it. And it would be pretty much impossible to access this $220 million worth of Bitcoin. And so the news story said that he's attempted twice the password and he's got it wrong both times. And now he has one more attempt. And if he gets it wrong, he loses all the money. And when I read that story, TJ, I thought, man, that perfectly uh, depicts how most Christians live the Christian life. That there's $220 million. I mean, much, much more than that when you, when you figure God's you know, account. But I'm just giving you an example of a story. There's... $220 million worth of Bitcoin in your heavenly account, but you don't have the password to access it. And so guess what? It's worth $0 and 0 cents to you because you can't access it even though it belongs to you because you don't know the password. And understand something, type this in the comments, faith is the password. Faith is the password. And so God has so much in store for you. God wants to bless you. God wants to heal you. God wants to save your family. But until you get the faith to access what's available, it will be worth zero dollars and zero cents to you. And so as I move on to you, pass it on to you, TJ, all of these statements are all about uh, pushing off responsibility, pushing off that you have a role to play in the kingdom of of God and that what you do, what you speak, how you live your life it has no bearing on how things happen. But that's not true. We believe that we have the ability to cause things that occur to, uh, to occur in the world as we come into a covenant with God by faith. That's and so, right. Yeah. And I'm glad to finish off with covenant because I was going to say the, the Bible is not a coping mechanism book. It is a covenant. The Bible doesn't teach you how to cope right. with things. It teaches you how to enter into covenant with God. And in so doing, it releases intervention, divine intervention in your affairs to change the situation. You, I'm reminded of the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah receives a word from the Lord. 
prepare your house because this sickness, you're going to die from it. Hezekiah could have been, well, Father, give me the faith to change the things I can. Give me the strength to endure the things I cannot and the wisdom to know the difference. And so I'm just going to settle for what I've heard. He didn't do that. Something rose up in him, and faith right. is a violent, fa- uh, a violent force. Faith is not a, a stagnant force. It's not a, a passive force. Faith is not, well, we've put it in God's hands, and now we'll just wait for the outcome. Faith takes the victory by force. The Bible says we are to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on the thing which God has uh, given to us by Christ Jesus. So Hezekiah turns his face towards Jerusalem and he begins to cry out to God, Father, remember how I've served you. Remember how I've walked in light of your word and your commands. Remember your covenant, O God. As he did that, God span Isaiah on his heels as he was about to leave the king's courts, brought him back into the king's chambers and told Hezekiah, the, I've added 15 years. That sickness is going to be healed. I've brought on 15 more years on your life because of that faith that you exerted from your spirit. So you don't have to accept everything that comes your way. This might be a revelation to some people here today, but it's something you need to hear. You don't have to accept everything that comes your way. If somebody sent a package to your house and UPS came to deliver it and you don't know the, the source, you don't know where it came from and it kind of looks fishy, maybe it smells fishy I have no idea maybe the package is leaking you don't even want to touch it you don't even want to look at it you don't want it to sit in your house and just mold and 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 decay away you don't want that package would you just sign for it and say well package came someone wants me to have it so I might as well take it and then you just laid it on your your armoire or something and just let it stay there and everyone that came over they said that thing stinks you got to get out of your house well I signed for the package and someone sent it so I'm obliged to keep it that's how the devil wants you to get you to think that whatever comes your way it must be God's will pay special attention to this permission is not to be confused with commission God's permission is not to be confused with God's commission. God permits, Evangelist Preston said it before, people to go to hell. People, there's a guy that wrote on my TikTok yesterday and it really, it like, this thing like, it, it, it hurt my heart because it wasn't offensive to me. He wrote, um, I will gladly go to hell by, uh, on my own will. He said, I will gladly go to hell on my own will. And it, it like grieved me because you have people that, You know, he said it out of his own mouth that those words are going to stand on the day of judgment condemning him. So God doesn't send people to hell. People by their own will, by their own lifestyle choices, by their own mindsets that they refuse to repent of, they themselves send themselves to hell. God God has done everything in his power for you to enter into a covenant of blessing, a covenant of health, a covenant of prosperity, a covenant of goodness and mercy chasing you all the days of your life. But when people don't understand covenant and they just think these things are just going to deposit into their account automatically look i can receive a million dollar check if i don't go to the bank and actually deposit that check and they verify that i'm the actual owner of this account that check is just going to be paper and it's useless someone can tear it up it does nobody any good once i take it to the bank and deposit it and i take a step an action of faith that the money on the other end they have it in their reservoir of resources to actually back up the check the word of god is god's promissory note it's god's check towards you 
But some people don't actually believe that God on his end has the resources to back up the check. But I'm here to remind you today, the Bible isn't a book to get you through life. The anointing isn't given you to endure life. The Bible is a book that enables you to come out of the beggar's hill and into the king's courts. The Bible is a book of God over and over again, time and time again, pulling people out of places where they were backed up into a corner with no way out, but they chose to believe and they chose in the face of opposition to declare the word of the Lord and act on God's instructions. And as such, just like Evangelist Preston said, when they didn't deviate to the left, when they didn't deviate to the right, when in the face of greater and greater obstacles, in the face of opposition, in the face of Goliath, David still said, I'm going to Speak the word of the Lord. This Goliath, I'm going to take his head off and then I'm going to feed his body to the birds of the air. Well, you know what? David had what he said and God didn't leave David alone and forsake him and say, well, that guy's speaking things I never even told. No, God backed up David's word by his power and David had what he said. So, you know, most I guarantee you that most of the Israelites that day were praying like, like this. Father, we just pray that you would give us the faith to change. If we can kill Goliath, we pray that you'll give us the faith to do that. And uh, if we can't, just give us the strength to endure his vicious statements and his mean statements that he keeps saying. I'm sure they prayed that. But David came and heard the same words of Goliath and said, who's this idiot? What reward is there if I kill him? Oh, that sounds good. And he went out. He stepped out. He moved in faith. Remember, by faith, Abraham moved. Abraham moved. If faith doesn't move you, then God will not move on your, in your situation. If your faith doesn't move you, God will not move into your situation to correct the wrong. Um, point number three, right. statement number three. It's not about being fruitful. It's about being faithful. It's not about fruitfulness, it's about faithfulness. You have people that try to explain away their lack of fruitfulness by constantly making this statement, and it sounds holy, it sounds pious, it sounds like a spiritual statement that, you know, ultimately, if you're just faithful, it doesn't matter what happens in the natural realm, God will look at your faithfulness and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Remember, he doesn't just say, well done, faithful servant. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. And he was talking to the man who had five talents and produced five more talents. So it's not just to be faithful. We right. have to be good and faithful. Faithful at the good thing. Faithful at the wrong thing. There's far too many people that are faithful at the wrong thing. I can be faithful at trying to do an oil change on my car, which I have no idea how to do. I can do that for 10 years and just have a badge on my, on, my, on my shirt that says I'm a faithful oil changer. I've been doing this for 10 years, working on the same car. People can come by and stop by and say, man, this guy's been working on that car for 10 years. Or I can find someone who's been faithful at doing it and good at doing it and get it done in 15 minutes. So it's not just about being faithful. Mm -hmm. There has to be a fruitfulness because fruitfulness is not just just you know a nicety in in life it's not just you know something god drops on certain people because uh, he's distinguished them fruitfulness comes as a result uh, our, our fruitfulness sorry our demand for fruitfulness is an is a command of scriptures god said be fruitful and multiply he didn't say be, be faithful and whether you multiply yeah. or not is up to me he said if you are faithful at the right thing you will be fruitful and what you have now will begin to multiply fruitfulness is a command Fruitfulness glorifies God. 
John 15 says, by this my Father is much glorified when you bring forth much fruit. So if you're not fruitful in life, you're not going to glorify God much. God loves when you take, when you despise not the days of small beginnings and you start to work on it at the level that you're at and you produce more and God starts to see, man, that guy's been faithful at a little level. Now I'm going to bring him into much. Fruitfulness is not only a command, it brings glory to God. And then number three, fruitfulness is what guarantees promotion in life. You can't be promoted to the next level until you've found yourself faithful and fruitful at the level you're at right now. I'm reminded of, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, who became the first American billionaire, he started off tithing from his first paycheck. He wasn't like, well, when, I'm, when I gain hundreds of millions, I'll start tithing and giving to the Lord. He was faithful at the level that he was at, and he acted on... on, on um, on the word of God in tithing and giving offerings off that. And he began to expand and became supernaturally fruitful. Where I believe when he died, 90% of his wealth um, was allocated towards church building programs and stuff like that. You look at uh, Colonel Sanders. The moment he wow. got saved, he sold KFC not too long after and tithed off of, um, off of that. And his wealth astronomically grew when you are faithful at the right thing it is impossible for you to not experience unprecedented levels of multiplication of increase and of growth abraham was not only faithful to god he he was a cattle rancher he he took what god gave him and he learned to multiply his cattle increase god gave him supernatural wisdom to know how to get the fattest cows in the land because everyone else at that time they were nomadic they were traveling from you know um they they were traveling all over the place abraham learned a system to grow his cows to get them fatter than ever and as a result you know, he was in one place at one time. He, he went to Canaan and that's where he plopped. That's where he stayed. As a result, whenever somebody wanted to, it, it didn't even matter if it was the Philistines, his own enemies. If they wanted to get cow's milk or they needed cattle, they needed food, they had to go to Abraham. So that wisdom that God gave him came as a result of, you know, there's a lot of people that are saying, Lord, help me to grow, help me to grow, help me to grow. But they're not doing anything at the level they're at right now for God to actually trust them with wisdom to to, to grow on into the next level. I, when I got saved, I got filled with the Holy Ghost, went straight into ministry. We went to Dominican Republic. We started doing crusades. And I had a vision that we'd see crusades done in, in Canada, crusades done in America. And uh, I was like, one day it's going to happen. One day it's going to happen. You know, if I'm just faithful at doing this overseas, one day it's going to happen. You know what the Lord told me? You've been faithful here, but go back to your own nation and be faithful at the level you're at then do what you're doing here because you're doing it right. But do crusades in the, at the level you're at now, even though you don't have all the finances, I'll provide, but do it at the level that you're, that you're at now. And as you're faithful in doing it right in, uh, in your nation, I'll grow you. David killed the bear, then he killed the lion, and then he hit Goliath. So as I did that, we began to multiply. We saw supernatural multiplication of our finances. All the money came in and we were able to do that. But understand that had I not been faithful in the first place, that fruitfulness would not have come. And I'll finish with this and I'll hand it off to you. The Bible condemns fruitlessness. The Bible calls it a sin. The Bible calls laziness that yeah. profits nothing a sin. Stagnation 
Like not moving, not going. God is always moving forward. God is always in, increasing somebody. God's building something. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord labors on right. the house, they that labor, labor in vain. So God's building something. When you're not building, you're like the, the yeah. people that at the 11th hour were just standing idle waiting for work to come. There's work to be done. You know, there, there's something to do. There's something you can be working on right now and growing right now. Laziness casts one into a deep sleep, the proverb says. The Bible says an idle person will suffer hunger. So you, you actually can't assume a state of neutrality with God. You're either moving forward with Him or you're backsliding. You're regressing. There's no state of neutrality. There's no, I'm just going to stay here and, and, and just coast. There's no coasting with God. You're either moving forward with Him or you're backsliding. And what you read before in Deuteronomy 28, if you'll be diligent to hearken unto my voice and be faithful at doing what I've told you to do, it doesn't say, you know, no matter what comes your way, just know I'll be pleased with you. It says that all these blessings will come on you. Blessed will you be in the city. Blessed will you be. So it's impossible. It's impossible to be faithful at the right thing with God and not, not have supernatural fruitfulness. It's impossible. That's right. Absolutely. And, you know, again, this is one of those statements that was made by someone that wasn't fruitful. And so because they weren't fruitful, they had to create something to explain, a, explain away their failure. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle the person. We don't even know who he is. But I'm just telling you that people will make up statements like this to explain away why they didn't succeed or why they didn't accomplish the thing that they wanted to. I guarantee you someone that was 21 years old didn't create this statement. Someone in, that was starting out and young and vibrant and zealous, they didn't make this statement. I'll tell you who made this statement. Someone that was at the end of their ministry trying to understand on their front porch, rocking on their rocking chair why things didn't work out. And so they had to create something to make themselves feel better. But just because it makes you feel better about why you haven't accomplished something doesn't make it biblically accurate and doesn't make it uh, doctrinally sound. You think of Christ when he passed the fig tree that had no fruit on it in a season when it should have been bearing fruit. And what did Jesus do? Did he come to the tree and give it a big hug and pat it on the branches and say, oh, good tree, it's all right? No, Jesus cursed that fig tree because it bore no fruit. And then they came by it the next day. And then the disciples were amazed because it withered and died. <laughs> so you think of that. Do you think Jesus did that because he hated trees? No, Jesus did it to make a point about what happens when you don't bear fruit. It doesn't please God. It doesn't please God to not bear fruit. Do you think it pleases God to invest everything he's invested into you or me and then we give him nothing back? No, it doesn't. Because again, like you mentioned, the parable of the master and the servants and the talents he wasn't pleased with the servant that hid his talent in the ground because he was afraid. Instead, he took the talent from him and gave it to the one that multiplied the most. And so in that story, in that parable, we see the nature of how God, our master, the Lord works. He rewards faithfulness. Or excuse me, he rewards fruitfulness. And he rewards people that multiply. You know, there's always that statement too, TJ, about, you know, uh, there's people in heaven that, no one knew their name, but they'll have the most uh, jewels in their crown in heaven because they were a good person or whatever. You know, let me tell you something. Billy Graham, Reinhard Bonnke, uh, T.L. Osborne, these mighty evangelists and men of God, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, 
They're going to be known in heaven as they were known on the earth. They were powerful here. They'll be powerful there. And so this whole idea of, well, we're just passing through this earth, amen, and once we get to heaven, we'll truly see who we are. No, while you're on this earth, you're living a life that's showing God, like, your fruitfulness so that he can decide how he'll use you in the second king or in the, in the heavenly kingdom. It, it matters. Your life matters on this earth. And again, all these statements are basically trying to make you think that your life is just, uh, you know, you're just here passing through. It really doesn't matter. Your decisions, the consequences of your actions don't really bear that much uh, importance. It's all junk, really. I mean, to be honest with you. Because if you live your life believing these kinds of statements, you'll be ineffective and you'll be unfruitful. Because if you believe something like this, it will show up in your life and have a manifestation. That's why in Baptist churches that condemn divine healing, nobody gets healed. That's why in churches that they condemn the prosperity message and that God will bless your finances, everybody's poor. Why? Because what you believe what you confess, what you preach, it will bear fruit into the people that you preach it to. And there's fruit that is negative as well. If you preach a negative word, if you preach that healing isn't for everybody and God will teach you through sickness and sometimes God sends cancer, guess what? God doesn't send the cancer, but the devil will give you as much as you can handle because you've opened up a door to that thing because of how you believe and how you confess. And so when it comes back to this fruitfulness and faithfulness, let me tell you something. True faithfulness will produce fruitfulness. You can't be truly faithful and not bear fruit. So the whole thing's a lie anyway. Because what does that mean, faithfulness? It means you showed up. It means you went to church. Who cares if you went to church? There are people that will go to church their whole life and not receive one thing from God. Because they're not spiritual. They're religious. They don't truly care about the things that the Bible makes available. They're just trying to satisfy some soulish thing. They're just trying to scratch their ears. They're just trying to satisfy some sort of guilt. They don't, they're not interested in the life and the power of God. But let me tell you something. The thing that makes us different from any other religion on the wor in the world, makes us different from Hinduism or Islam or anything else that's out there, is that our God is real and our God answers. You think of the story in the Old Testament of the prophet when he challenged the prophets of Baal and he said that whoever's God sends down fire from heaven first will know that their God's the real God and that the other God's a fake God. Do you think in that story that the prophet was like, well, God, whether you send fire or not, I'll know you're real. No, because God doesn't work that way. God wants to show himself strong and mighty on your behalf. He'll send fire down from heaven. He'll preserve your life in a lion's den. He'll give you the ability to take down a 10-foot giant. All throughout the Bible, God wants to supernaturally enable somebody, a man or a woman, to do mighty things for him, to prove his glory upon the earth so that people will come to repentance. Do you think in the early church... All the miracles they did, all the things that they saw. Do you think that was just for show? No, it was God displaying his glory through an individual so that people could come to the salvation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so to have this idea that fruit doesn't matter, that souls being saved doesn't matter, that bodies being healed doesn't matter, that people being set free doesn't matter, is totally insane and puts you in this apathetic, jaded mindset 
that nothing ever gets done and that's just how it is. But that that does not have to be your story in Jesus' name. You can make a decision at 21, 22, 35. I don't know. I don't care how old you are. You can make a decision that says, Lord, I desire the best gifts. You know, the, the, the word of God declares earnestly desire the best gifts. And so it's not wrong to desire the best things from God. You're not selfish and prideful for desiring the best things from God. No, the Lord is actually pleased to find someone that desires what he's made available. The Lord is actually pleased that there's someone that has zeal and passion for the things that he's made available for his children. You should be that kind of person, that you're jealous for the things of God, not jealous for the things of the world, not jealous for materialistic things that are from the world system, but you're jealous for the things from God that are the best things. And so when it comes back to this fruitfulness and faithfulness thing, God wants to see you fruitful. He wants to see you multiply. He wants to see you increase. But if you have this mindset that it doesn't matter whether you grow or not, then you'll never grow. I think, was it Lester Sumrall, uh, TJ, that built his driveway in a way that it was like a full circle? That way he never had to go backward. Or Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter until the fullness of day. Your calling is not to go backward and go up and down like a roller coaster. It's to go up and up and up, produce more and more fruit until the day that Jesus returns. Never to go backward, never to experience defeat and then victory and then defeat. No, glory to glory, victory to victory, and strength to strength. And you'll do it in Jesus' name. I'm reminded of this story, this parable. Jesus spoke of in Luke 13, 6, a certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the keeper of the vineyard, look for three years, we've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and we found none. Cut it down, why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down. So there's actually a period of grace where the Lord... And it shows here three years where the Lord will actually, he does visits. He visits and takes an assessment of what you've done every single year. I believe that. Every year he comes and, and he, he takes an assessment, takes a, 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 a role as to what you've produced in the last year. And there's like a three-year grace where if, if you just don't do anything, he'll give you that three-year grace. But then notice how... After the third year, it wasn't like, okay, we'll just let in and hopefully one day it's going to change. After that three-year grace, it was cut it down and plant something else. So there's something God's called you to do. If you just sit on it, God's going to skip over you one day and call someone else to do the work you could have done. And you're going to miss out on the reward in heaven. And you're going to miss out not only the reward in heaven, there's a reward tied to obedience on the earth. Godliness is profitable since it holds value and promise not only in the age to come, but it holds profit and value and promise in the age that is. You know, Jesus said, whoever is faithful to the point where he gives up houses and lands and, and whatever it has, he has to give up for the sake of the gospel and for Christ's sake. He said, not only in the next life will you be rewarded, in this life it's going to produce for you a hundredfold houses and lands and properties and all that so people a lot of times they 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 don't want to move with god because they think it doesn't have any value or it's like 
It's like God, they have this mentality that God's trying to use me. God doesn't use people. God blesses people. When you tie into his purpose, it's not God using you. It's God blessing you. God's actually giving you an opportunity where you can move forward, where you can actually have a life that you never thought imaginable. Remember what 1 Corinthians 2 says, what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never entered the heart of man. Those are the things that God has prepared for those that do love him. That though, for though, and what is love? Love is obeying God's commandments. And this is love, that you keep and obey my commandments. First John chapter 2. So faithfulness produces fruitfulness. That statement, it's not about being faith, fruitful, it's about being faithful. Those are people who, they tried doing something once, they did it their own way, it didn't work. A lot of times they do it their own way, they do it some way uh, with worldly wisdom, whatever, and it didn't work, and as a result they say, well, you know what, I did it, at least I did something, I'm being obedient. Be careful, obedience is not just doing anything. Obedience is specific to God's instruction. Number four, I'm not here for blessing. This is a famous song, that uh, has been written recently, I think in the last year, and a lot of people sing it, and it sounds nice, and it sounds cute, and it, it you know, I'm sure the, the, the chords they strike have an emotional pull on people, and you can find yourself crying tears as, as you listen to the song, but the actual lyric, be careful, because not every song that comes out on K-Love, or whatever that radio station is, and and, and all the, the Christian radio stations in the United States and Canada and the world, not every song that is put out on those airwaves have biblically sound doctrine. And it's important not just to sing to the Lord, but to sing accurate praises. You know, the Bible says sing with understanding. You're singing with an understanding of God's word. We're not just singing anything. God doesn't receive every offering of praise. There are actually some offerings that the bible says he rejects so not every offering of praise is received by god only offerings of praise that are in line with his word will receive a blessing from heaven so the the fourth statement that a lot of people have been singing and a lot of people say generally is i'm not here for blessing i just want you lord preston take it away (laughs) yeah i was gonna start this off by reading a tweet that i uh I put out a couple weeks ago about this because someone asked me, I was doing a Q&A kind of thing on my Instagram story, and someone asked me the question, what's a song that annoys you at the moment? And I chose this one, and I'll read you this tweet, and if you don't understand what I mean by it, I'll explain it as I uh, keep talking. But I tweeted out, I said, my mother got me a beautiful watch for my birthday, the exact one I asked for. I immediately threw it on the ground and I stomped on it. She didn't understand that I wasn't at my party for blessing. I was just there for her presence. Hashtag Christians. And uh, if you don't understand what I mean by that, it's, it's kind of insane when you actually think about what that thought process means. Can you imagine, let's just say you went over someone's house for dinner and they found out your five favorite foods that you like, your, your favorite drink, your favorite um, dinner, your favorite dessert, your favorite things that you like to eat. And they made this entire spread at their house. They, they packed this table full of all of your favorite foods. And then they invited you over for dinner that night. And as you walked in and as you saw that table, that spread full of all your favorite things, you told them, you know what, tonight, I'm not going to eat one morsel of food. I'm not going to drink any of the things that 
you got, all of my favorite stuff that you got me to eat and drink. Because I'm not here to eat with you and, and dine with you and partake of all the things that you made available for me. I'm just here to spend time with you because you're my friend or whatever. How, how, how hurt really would that person, that host be for, you know, cooking all day in the kitchen, going to the grocery store, getting all the ingredients, getting, spending all the money to get all the things that you like, and then presenting it to you beautifully at their house on their table. And then you tell them that you're not there to eat with them and enjoy the blessing, if you will. You're just there to spend time with them. Can you imagine how insane that would be and how hurtful that would be to the person that made it available to you? And so I want to read to you out of Matthew 7, very, very famous scripture. Jesus teaching the disciples in Matthew 7, verse 7 out of the ESV. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. <clears throat> and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 9, or which one of you? If your child were to ask you for bread, would give him a stone instead? Or if he asked you for a fish, will give him a serpent? Verse 11. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus explains here in this story. He says, you know, for instance, at Christmas time, there's some father that's full of sin, not saved dead in their spirit and they get the barbie castle for their daughter for christmas because their daughter asked for it and because they love their child someone that's not saved someone that has the love of god's not in them at that point they're just a human being they're just still have a sinful nature yet they in their sinful nature still know how to give good gifts to their children then jesus said if that is true then how much more will our heavenly father who's perfectly holy and just and, and wants to bless you, how much more will he give to you when you ask him? You know, the, the issue, coming back to this song, I mean, you can't, again, you can't separate who God is from what God does. I, I never, I've never understood this thought process, TJ, because in the Old Testament, every time God introduced himself, he introduced himself as a God of a particular action. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the Lord who provides for you. I am Jehovah Nisi. I am the Lord, your banner of victory. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord, your God, who will heal you. And so God, do you think God's ashamed of what he does? Do you think God is embarrassed that he wants to bless people? I mean, seriously, that would be like someone writing a song about me and being like, Preston, I'm not here because you're white. I'm just here, you know, like for instance, singing a song about me and then not wanting an attribute that is a part of who I am. Or I guess being white's a bad one, but I'm not here because you have blue eyes or whatever. Some attribute that you can't, you can't love me and then separate me from an attribute that's a part of who I am. That's insane. Because what people don't understand is God doesn't just do things. God is those things. For instance, God doesn't just love people. God is love. First John 4, God is love. And so when it comes to the blessing of God, you can't pick and choose what parts of God you want and then reject the parts you don't want, like God's a golden corral buffet, and you're taking whatever, and then you're leaving behind the rest. I don't know if 
there's golden crowds in Canada, but a buffet. And so you can't pick and choose the parts of God that you want to receive and then reject the parts that you don't want to receive. Either you receive all of God or you reject all of God. I mean, to sing about God this way is such, it's really a slap in the face to the work of Christ because a gift, someone's gift to you is really an extension of who they are. You know, someone that waits in a line to get you the watch that you wanted for your birthday. They scour the internet and they go to every website because it's sold out everywhere else. But they love you so much that they're spending all this time to get you this gift. And then you reject it because of something called false pride and false humility. That you have this false humility that you don't want to receive great things because you're not worthy of great things. But I want you to know, as a believer, as a new creature in Christ, you're worthy of great gifts. Everyone that's watching right now. You're worthy of the best things from God. Don't think that someone else is worthy, but you're not worthy. God, by his grace, by the blood of Jesus, has made you worthy of great gifts. And so don't be ashamed to ask for great gifts. Because the word says, we read it, it says, ask and it will be given to you. And then it says, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So again, going back to what I was talking about, the previous statement, it's always an if. It's always if you ask, if you obey the word, if you don't stir to the left or to the right. So in this case, it's asking. And many times people never ask Evangelist TJ because they never feel worthy to ask. They don't feel like they're good enough to request something that's great from God. They don't feel good enough to request something that is from heaven because of how they did something in their past or who they used to be. But that's why it's so important to understand new creation, new creature theology, that you're brand new in Christ, that the old man is dead, and that you've been resurrected with Christ unto a new thing. You're a new creature, that you're now able, now you're worthy. You're a joint heir with Christ Jesus. You're worthy of an inheritance from God, not because of who you were, but because of who God has made you to be by his grace and by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so understand today on this topic, I'm not here for blessing. First of all, you can't separate God from his blessing because God, that's part of who God is. And then secondly, you're worthy of great things from God. And then thirdly, there's not brownie points or a cookie in heaven for you because you rejected it. There's not some extra thing because, oh, you are so humble that you rejected the best things from God. And that way God could really bless you in heaven. No, you can receive good things in this life and in the life to come. God, God doesn't want to give you good things in heaven and then your life on earth is just chaos and destruction and poverty and, and craziness. God wants to make sure that you're blessed in this life and in the life to come. You're worthy of great gifts. You're worthy to receive the best from heaven. All you have to do is ask and it shall be given and God will do it for you. That's right. And I'll pass you know, it on to you. This is the devil's ploy to get people to feel guilty for desiring things that the word of God already says are yours in Christ Jesus. If you're ever guilty, you know what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 22? It says, brethren, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we know that whatever we ask of him, he gives to us because we obey his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. You can please God with your life. 
Job pleased God yeah. with his life under a like a zero covenant. He didn't even have Abraham's covenant. All he had was the Genesis 3 covenant and then the Noahic covenant in Genesis 6. That's all the covenant he had. And yet the Bible says he was a man that eschewed evil. He did what was right and he feared God. As a result, God blessed him. When you, in this new covenant, have the power of the Holy Ghost in you, how much more should we be able to live lives in light of His Word and walk in a manner fully pleasing God? When you do that, the Bible says, as you walk out in faith to please God in everything that you do, what is pleasing God? I'm seeking God as priority in every area of my life. When I go to work, I'm a full-time Christian. When I go to, 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 to the, the, I don't know, a hockey game, I'm a full-time Christian. When I'm at school, I'm a full-time Christian. I'm standing by as a soldier hearing orders from heaven to do his bidding, to do whatever he needs. When you live that way, you should never feel guilty for desiring things that Colossians 1 says God already qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints you know the Bible says in Romans 8 32 if God didn't spare Jesus but delivered him up for us all will he not freely give us everything else to richly enjoy right you, I love what you said. You can't separate Jesus from his blessing. You can't separate the cross from healing. You can't separate the cross from prosperity and all the other blessings and inheritance that have come to us. Everything was packaged in that work of redemption that Jesus did and accomplished for us. That when we believe, when I received Christ, you know, the song goes on to say, you know, where we got this statement from, I'm not here for blessing, I, I just want you. It, the song actually says, I'm not here for blessing, I just want to sit here at your feet. You can't plug in to Jesus and not receive healing. You can't sit at his feet and not receive a joy and receive peace and receive restoration. He's not, he's not a restorer. He is restoration. He is not a healer. He is healing. He's not all these things. He's not peace. He's not, peace is not something God gives. Peace is who he is. He says, I am the Prince of Peace. So you can't say, I, I don't pray for blessing. I just pray. You've got prayer all wrong because prayer is connection with God. And when you abide in him, John 15 says, he abides in you and everything he is comes to you and comes to your life and starts to manifest in your life. John 14, 21 says, if we have his commandments and keep them, we are the ones that love him. And because we love him, he will love us and manifest himself, disclose himself through us. So when you are connected to God, you can't live, oh, I, I just, I'm just obedient whether, no matter what the outcome is. I, when you are obedient to God, when you are connected to heaven, these things, you know, bless, Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of your life. As you follow the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, these things follow you. And so it's not that I'm going to prayer yeah. because I, you know, I don't even want, I don't want holiness. I don't want righteousness. I don't want those things. I just want healing. I just want him to heal me so I can go back to the club. I want to be healed so I can smoke marijuana again. I want to heal. If you have that <laughs> mindset, then yeah, you're wrong. But if you have a heart for God and a love for his kingdom and you're, you, you, your heart is knitted with his purpose, it's absolutely not wrong to desire the things that he already said you can have via his word. You know, every promise of God is yes and yeah. amen in Christ Jesus. 
So you can't, you in his presence is what? Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. So you can't even be in his presence and just have him without the others. When you get him, you get (laughs) these things. Abraham, God told Abraham, I am your exceedingly high reward. Well, how did that manifest? Abraham was exceedingly blessed. Everything he touched was blessed. Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and continued prospering until he was the most prosperous person in all of Egypt. Isaac sowed in a famine. The Lord was with him. The hand of God was on him. He sowed in a famine and he prospered until the Philistines envied him. You know, Jacob wrestled with God. What did he say? I'm just here for you. I'm just wrestling you because all I want No, he said, I will not let you go until you what? You bless me. So he understood My connection with God is going to result in blessing, overflowing. My cup, he anoints my head with oil. My cup, what? Runs over in every part of life. Number four, I'm not here for blessing. I'm just, I just want you. Go ahead. I want to add just one more thing to this. um, Because I didn't have this plan, but I just felt the end of the parable of the prodigal son. That's good. When the son comes back and uh, he, he asks his father, he's like, just let me uh, eat with the servants. So I want to I read this because this is the exact mentality that Christians have when it comes to this statement. Uh, this is Luke 15 and verse 25. The Bible says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received... Uh, Excuse me. He has received him back safe and sound, verse 28. But he was angry, the older brother, and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these after many these many years I have served you, and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother who was dead and is now alive, he is lost and now is found. And I wanted to read that because you remember the story of the prodigal son where it got so bad after he spent all of his father's uh, blessing, if you will, that he was eating in the pigsty with the pigs. And the Bible says he came unto himself, meaning he got his identity back and he said to himself, well, I don't have to stay in this position. I can go back to my father. And in his mind, what he thought was my father will never accept me back as a son of the house. But at the very least, he'll let me be a servant. And my my father's servants eat much better than I'm eating right now with these pigs. And so the word of God says he went back to his father. But guess what? His father wasn't angry at him. His father didn't make him pay some sort of price and make him become a servant and not become a son of the house. The word says, the parable says, when he saw his son from afar off, he ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the Bible says he put a ring on his finger, he put sandals on his feet, and he killed the the fattest calf and threw a big party for his son because he was so glad that his son was home. And I say that on this point about how I'm not here for blessing, I'm just here for you, because it all stems from this thought process that I'm not good enough, I don't deserve the best things from God, I've done all these things in my past. But what we can clearly see 
from the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 is that the father was not angry with the son when he returned, but in fact, he was so overjoyed that not only did he embrace him again, but he threw a party for him. And then he gave him, showered him with gifts and blessing and restored unto him becoming a son of the house. And so that's how God works. And again, like you said, I'm just here at your feet, but I'm not here for blessing. You can't be around God and not be blessed because God is a blessing God. God is blessing. And so if I'm in his presence, I receive the blessing because I can't help but be blessed because I'm in the presence of the blesser. That would be like, I don't know, being in the ocean and being like, I'm not here to get wet. I'm just here to swim in the ocean. You can't separate the two because as you're in the ocean, you're going to get wet because the ocean is wet. And so if you're around God, you're going to get blessed because he is blessing. And so I just want to add that That's at the right. very end before we move yeah. on. It's next. absolutely true. Yeah. Like And like I said, the devil tries to beat that into people to try and get them to feel guilty for desiring anything or expecting anything. And if the devil can limit or remove your expectation, I mean, he expectation yeah. is is the breeding ground of miracles. We've heard that. But expectation is also the sign of your faith. Expectation is a point of releasing your faith. That's actually a, 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 a way you release your faith through expectation. But if you start making, you continue off making statements like this, like Evangelist Preston said before, you, you are cheating yourself out of a reward. You know, Jesus delights in blessing his, 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 yeah. his church. God delights in blessing his children. It's not something he's like holding back. No good thing does he withhold from them that do walk uprightly. So it's not something that he's trying to like not get to you. He's, he's, he's done everything in his power to connect you to himself and in so doing to channel the flow of blessing through your life. Um, Number five statement, right. and we'll finish with this. The fifth statement that irks me the most, and probably I'd say this might be the, the worst one. Because this one, if you don't understand, uh, if, you, if you don't get this out of your vocabulary, it's going to overflow in every other part of your Christian walk. And that is, we are all just sinners saved by grace. As long as you continue to identify yourself as a sinner, as a wretch, you know, there's a lot of Christian teachers, they teach their, their, their disciples that uh, we're all wretched, depraved wrecks and not worthy of anything. That we're all, this is like after Christ. You're, you're just a, a miserable thing and an eyesore to God. And we're all sinners. And how many of you know we sin all the time and we're always going to sin? And there's no, pretty much there's never going to be victory over sin until you die. The moment you say that, as long as you confess yourself as I'm a sinner and you call yourself I'm a sinner, and that only when death comes will we actually break free from sin and enter into righteousness, you have made death your savior and not Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Christ who knew no sin, to become sin on our mm. behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
So with my understanding of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, I now change my confession about myself. I'm not going to state I'm a sinner because that's not biblically correct. It's something the devil absolutely wants me to keep confessing about myself because you'll never rise higher than the level of confession that you have daily. So if you keep saying, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, you're always going to battle sin. There's always going to be something that you can't break free from. There's always, you know, that's what, there's so many people that struggle with like pornography or alcohol and all that. And they, I'm just recovering. I'm just recovering. They always say they're recovering. They're recovering. Instead, start to confess that sin no longer has dominion over me. I'm no longer under law. I'm under grace. And Christ was made sin so that I can, I no longer have to um, identify anymore as a sinner, but now I can identify as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When you start to position yourself like that and line your confession up with that statement, that biblical truth, you're actually going to find power with God rise up from within to resist temptation. It's impossible to resist temptation if you constantly call yourself a sinner. First of all, you can't be a sinner and righteous any more than I can be married and a bachelor. I'm either married or I'm a bachelor. I can't identify as both at the same time. I'm either... Uh, I'm either married or I'm a bachelor. And my wife would not like me going around calling myself a bachelor. Well, that's what some people do. God hates it when you go around calling yourself a sinner. Because remember this, the way you, you conf- what you confess about yourself, you're now confessing about Jesus because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ now lives in me. And so I've got to be careful what I talk about myself because it's no longer I who lives. Christ now lives in me. You can grieve. Like I open up this broadcast by saying in Ephesians 4, it says that no no corrupt word should proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for necessary edification. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's funny how Paul talks about corrupt words proceeding out of our mouth and relates it with grieving the Holy Spirit. When you start to speak these things about yourself, and start to confess wrong things about yourself, you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God that God put in you. Like Evangelist Preston said, you've been changed. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. I, here's a better confession. I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace, and now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I can be perfect even right. as he is perfect. And even though maybe, you know, some of you are like, well, I screwed up today. You can say like Paul said, I may not have apprehended it yet. I may not have, uh, I may have slipped. I may have made a mistake. But this one thing I do, I'm not going to identify with my past wrongs. I'm not going to call myself a sinner because I screwed up yesterday. That's the past. The Bible, the blood of Jesus removes your past, secures your present, and gives you a bright future. So the past is done. I'm not going to recall to memory all the things. You know, it's the devil that is the accuser of the brethren. It's the devil that wants to keep you in that poverty confession of I'm just a sinner. We sin every day. Because as long as you confess that, he has you tied to his rope and he can pull you back down every single day. But if you start to say, that's my past. But this one thing I do, like Paul did, I reach on. I forget those things which are behind I'm not going to be ruled by my past. I'm not going to be controlled by my past mistakes. I'm going to be ruled by what the word of God says about me. And I'm going to press on to the standard of the word. I'm going to press on to perfection. And I know that I'm going to lay hold to that. You, you, you know, imagine right. if Paul was like that. 
Paul was just constantly calling himself a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm just... He would have been miserable. He would have never been able to, to write in Philippians, <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. He'd always be thinking of the faces of the Christians that he brutally massacred and murdered. He would, have been, he would have been a victim of the guilt of his past and would have never moved on with God. Guilt paralyzes people from moving on. And so if Paul had, you know, you read the, the letter, I forget who Paul was writing to, but one of, I, I don't know if it was... Um, if it was his letter to uh, Philemon. But he writes, I have wronged nobody in that letter. I think it was in the Corinthians, actually. He says, I have wronged nobody. This is Paul, the murderer of the church. Paul, the, the guy who had letters from Damascus to bring those that called on the name of Jesus. In, uh, he had letters from Jerusalem to call those to bring those who had called on the name of Jesus in Damascus back to Jerusalem to commit them to prison for execution one day. The guy that literally wreaked havoc on the church, Acts chapter 9, who made it his objective to annihilate the Christian faith from the face of the earth. And the Bible says, when he got saved, delivered, writing years later, he said, I've not wronged anybody. How could he say that about himself? Obviously, he didn't call himself a sinner saved by grace. He understood what grace did for him. It repositioned him. It brought him out of the dunghill and sat him amongst the princes of his people. So quit saying we're sinners. We're all just sinners. The Bible has nothing good to say about you before you came to Christ. It says you, you had fallen short of the glory of God. It said you were dead in sin. It said you were a child of wrath. It says that the wages of sin is death. It says that uh, poverty was your portion. It says that uh, sickness was your portion. It has nothing good to say about you before Christ. But after you join to Christ, he that is joined to the Lord has become one spirit with him. After you're joining with Christ, the Bible has nothing bad to say about you. Only good things. Right. Only good things. That's right. Absolutely. You know, I think you perfectly encapsulated that but I, I felt read to felt led to read out of Colossians chapter two, and I'm going to begin reading in verse six. Again, this is an ESV Bible. The Word of God says, "Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, Colossians two verse six, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. And I think really today, evangelist teaches that that's what we're dealing with today. Human tradition, it says, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him... You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Speaking of separation. Hallelujah. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. Hallelujah. Through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, hallelujah, that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Hallelujah. And so you, how can you read that in Colossians 2 and think that your sin is still remembered by God and still think that you're a sinner and still think that God hasn't nailed your sin to the cross of Jesus Christ to be remembered no more? that he's tossed your sin into the sea of forgetfulness, that he's separated it from you as far as the east is from the west. God has made you a new creature. God has raised you up through the power of Jesus Christ to be a brand new person. The old you is dead. Hallelujah. He separated you with the circumcision, not made by human hands and not made by the flesh, but one made of the spirit through the power of Christ. And now you're a brand new person. He's canceled the record of debt. Everything that you used to owe, you no longer owe because Jesus has made it possible. You're a brand new creature, hallelujah, through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And you don't no longer have to live your life with the anxiety and the weight of sin and the debt of wrong and trespasses. But now you're a new creature. Now you're a royal priesthood. Now you're a peculiar person. Now you're a people called by his own name. Now you're someone separated. Hallelujah, like the stones by the altar. In Colossians, I think it's four, it says that. Where you're no longer who you used to be, but God has separated you and pulled you out from the world. And now you're different. And now you can live by that difference, not to live by who you used to be, but to live not by you. Hallelujah. For it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives on the inside of you. It's the in him theology. It's the in Christ theology that Paul spoke about through all his letters, through all of his books. He spoke of how you're brand new in Christ. In him, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You're no longer limited. You're no longer weak. You're no longer sinful. You're no longer oppressed. You're no longer in bondage. But now you've been set free in every single way. The word sozo in the Greek for salvation, it doesn't just mean forgiveness of sin, but it means total restoration of yourself, body, soul, spirit, and mind. Every part of man being redeemed by the working of Christ. And so it's time for believers to live like that. Not to think that they're the person they used to be. For how can you be righteous and sinful at the same time? How can you be the church of Jesus Christ and still be a part of the world? How can you be light and darkness simultaneously? How can you be one thing and a, a total polar opposite at the same time? It's impossible. You are redeemed. You are, hallelujah, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're no longer who you used to be, but you're a brand new creature for hallelujah, he's canceled the record of debt. Man, the anointing was on that. He's canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Hallelujah. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Hallelujah. And I'll just close there. I don't think you can. I can do anything better than that. Colossians if you're two. watching right now, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You heard that passage. He can cancel the record of your debt. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what you did before popping onto this broadcast. It doesn't even matter if you came on here with a mocking tone. But somewhere down the line, as you've listened, the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of your heart. And you know you weren't born to live for the devil. You weren't born 
to live in this. There's something more than this world. There's something more than the temporal. There's something more than what we're seeing. I want you to know there is a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus 2,000 years ago who lived in the flesh. He had to take on our flesh. He had to take on the likeness of sinful flesh. But he lived a perfect life. He beat sin in the flesh. He never fell into sin. He, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And the Bible says that he was a guiltless. He had no guilt. He had no, there was no record of wrong that was laid on him. There was no sin. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God. And yet he was laid on a wooden tree on account of our guilt, on account of our sin. He didn't die for his sin. He didn't die for his sicknesses to be healed. He didn't die for his guilt to go. He had none of that. He did it for you and he did it for me. That when you just simply receive that, now, there's nothing you could do to redeem your own soul. There's nothing you could do to make peace with God. There's no amount of money that can gain you an entrance into heaven. There's no amount of education that can get God to respect you while you're in sin. The Bible says all of our good words, all of our good works, all of our deeds are like filthy rags when God measures them according, uh, in, a, in comparison to His righteousness. His righteousness is too high. There's no way we could have attained it. That's why what man couldn't do in his own sinful flesh, God did by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He condemned sin in the flesh so that we can have our past wrongs, if our, the certificate of debt that we owed to God that was unpayable. No man could at any time redeem his own soul. The Bible says... That in Christ Jesus, he took it out of the way. He removed it. That by the blood of his cross, we can have peace with God. My brother and sister, do you have peace with God today? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if Jesus were to come back today, or if your life were to end, would you spend eternity with, with God in heaven? Do you know where your eternal destination is? Do you have absolute certainty and confidence in your heart that I, my citizenship is in heaven? That the blood of Jesus has washed me pure from sin? That I know that I know that these things have been written so that I might have eternal life. That there's not one sin separating me from a holy God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But God made a way where there was no way that the free gift of eternal life might come to us through Jesus Christ. If you're watching right now and you don't have a, a distinct moment in your life where you can remember that I, I prayed to God and asked Him to forgive me of my sins. I asked Him to fill me with His Spirit that I might live for Him. I asked Him to, 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 to make me born again. I asked Him that the, my past would be dealt with, that my sins would be washed by the blood of Jesus and that a new creation would emerge in me. If you've never done that in your life, you've never made right with God, you can do that right now. Simple steps. A, B, C. A, you need to admit you're a sinner. You need God's help. You know, I, I said I can't stand the, the, the statement of I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's if you're a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, if you don't know God, you're absolutely a sinner that needs God's grace. And I'm not going to shy away from telling you that. Hell's a real place. And it wasn't created for you. It was created for the devil and his... His demons, heaven. Jesus said, I'm going up to heaven to prepare a place for you. A, you need to admit you're a sinner. B, you need to believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day, and he lives forevermore. 
And then C, you need to consecrate your life to Jesus today. You need to consecrate your life to Christ. I'm going to live for him. I'm through. I don't love the world nor the things of this world. I've ran with the devil and I've played in his playground and it's only gotten me hurt over and over again. From today onward, I'm going to walk with God. From today onward, I'm going to, I'm going to follow Jesus. Though none goes with me, I'm still following him and I'm not turning back. And God will give you grace to live for him. It's impossible to live for him in your own power and strength. The Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's God's grace that doesn't give you a license to keep on sinning. It's God's grace that gives you an empowerment to cease from sinning, to live a life well-pleasing to God so that when you stand before him one day, you're not on the left with all the goats where he says, depart from me, I never knew you, but you're amongst those who are clothed with white robes of righteousness. That God says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of the Lord. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. If you've never given your life to Jesus, or you have, but you've fallen away, you know, if you're honest with yourself, you're not living for the Lord. You're not living on fire for God. You don't remember the last time you even opened your Bible. You don't remember the last time you even went to a church or even paid attention in church. Maybe you've been there bodily in presence, but your spirit's not been there. You feel far from God. If God is far from you, it's not God that moved, it's you. You move. But the good news is James 4, 7 says we can draw near to God. And as such, God will, draw near to, God will draw near to you. He hasn't disqualified you. He hasn't discounted you. As long as you have breath in your lungs and you have a beat in your heart, you can be like that prodigal son that was mentioned earlier on this broadcast. You can reason with yourself and say, how many of my father's servants have bread enough for food? And here I am feeding on pig's pods. I will arise and go back to my father. I will arise. I pray that that'll be your story. You will arise and go back. And God's not going to meet you with a ruler and a beating stick to put you back in your place. No, God will meet you with blessing. God will meet you with honor. God will meet you with wide open arms of grace saying, this my son was lost, but now he's found. This my son was dead, but now he's living. He's not wait. Religion brings stones. Jesus brings grace and mercy. Receive it today. Come home today. If you fall into those two categories, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say this from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I repent of my sin. I ask you, forgive me. Wash me clean. For I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. I will live for you. I will endure to the end. Fill me with your spirit. Empower me. To live for you. To have victory over sin. And never sin having victory over me. From today, I'm moving forward. I'm forgetting those things which are behind. And I'm pressing on to those things which are ahead. The old is passed away. Everything becomes new. I'm a new creation. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And no matter what the devil tries to accuse me with, I know that I'm clothed in white and I'll never be the same. Heaven is my home. God is my father. And I'll never turn back. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you prayed that prayer with me, I'd love Amen. for you to get in contact with me. My website is salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. There's a video at the bottom of the page that I made just for you. It's about 30 minutes on four basic things every new Christian must know. Four things that I would tell you if we were face-to-face right now, if we went out for coffee, these are four things that I would tell you now that you've begun a new life with Jesus. Things that will guarantee your success in Christianity. That this isn't just a blimp on the map, but this is actually uh, the beginning of a wonderful life with Christ. For everyone that's watching right now, I want Evangelist Preston, uh, if you would, pray for like the renewing of the mind. And, and that, Absolutely. you know, we did this, not like we said, not to beat people up. And, and we did this to show people that sometimes we make these robotic statements and they just become a part of our daily vernacular. And, and we just adapted <clears throat> all this vocabulary thinking that it, they were righteous statements or mm-hmm. they were, you know, spiritual things to say. But in reality, they were not. And you know, as much as the scripture that we've pumped in this broadcast today, you need to have a renewal of your mind that continues past this broadcast. If all this is, is you, you know, right. if all I did was have Thanksgiving dinner and then I didn't eat again until next Thanksgiving, I wouldn't look very healthy come three weeks, come two weeks. So don't, I, I, Evangelist Preston's going to pray that this is just going to begin a new life with, with God where, where the word of God becomes a thrilling book for you. And as the washing of the water of the word takes place, your thoughts begin to be renewed and as such your confession. And you pray whatever you want, uh, you know. But, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Father, right now I lift up every single viewer of this broadcast on Facebook and YouTube. I thank you, Father, that wherever they are right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that this broadcast today has changed their perspective and their mind on things that they didn't have any knowledge about, things they just said out of tradition or things they heard other people say. Father, I pray that this broadcast has put faith in their spirit and that from now on, from this moment forward, everything they believe, everything that they understand will be something out of your word and rooted in faith and not in humanism, not in self-help books, not out of uh, just humanistic ideas. But Father, we thank you that from this moment forward, you're renewing their minds. That God, like Evangelist TJ said, this will not be a full course meal. And then from now on, they're going to be eating scraps and eating nothing. But Father, I thank you that this is the mark. This is the beginning of a wonderful feast that they'll have for the rest of their life on your word. That They'll meditate upon your word like Joshua did. And they'll have success in everything that they do. I thank you, Lord, that they shall be like trees, like Psalm 1 declares, that are planted by the river, and they shall bear fruit in every season. I thank you, God, that they won't just be faithful, but they'll be fruitful in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, there'll be tangible results of the wonders of who you are in their life. I thank you, Lord, they won't be frustrated. They won't feel like there's obstacles all around them, but they'll understand by your word that they are overcomers, that they're forgiven, that they are righteous in you, that they are able and they are able to receive the best gifts from you, their father, if they would only ask you by faith. I thank you, Father, that because of this broadcast, they'll go from feeling unworthy to feeling worthy, that they won't have the idea like the prodigal son did, that he'll have to be a servant when he returns home, but they'll become a child, they'll become a son, they'll become a daughter of the house, 
and they'll be able to receive the inheritance that belongs to them in Jesus' mighty name. I pray all of these things in that precious name, and I decree it by faith, and I know they receive it even now as I pray. Amen. 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 I, I know I've been blessed, but if you've been blessed by this broadcast, why don't you just put one in the chat? I know we have 150 people still on right now, which is awesome because that's we're two hours in. And uh, for 150 of you to stick on, it, it's it's wonderful. That means <laughs> power of God has been on this broadcast from the, the moment the moment we went live. So I, I would encourage you even to rewatch this, share this. If you're on Facebook, you haven't shared it yet, share it on YouTube, like, like the video if you haven't already liked it. Um, and, uh, and, and comment and all that is going to help get this word out to more people. Evangelist Preston, thank you so much for, for coming on. Uh, you know, you spent two hours with us, so I, I know that's a, a pretty large chunk of your day, but I appreciate you coming on and, uh, you're, you're a blessing to me. I listen to your podcast. Uh, it, you know, the wisdom of God, I'm not much older than you, but what are you like 24 now? 22? 22. Okay, so I'm not much, I'm still yeah, not much older than you, but <laughs> like the wisdom that that you have, you know, is is unparalleled for many at that age. <laughs> you know, most people are just preaching oh, their feelings you. and their thoughts, and you know what they learned from playing Halo last weekend. So <laughs> it's refreshing <laughs> to have someone like you. If you haven't, if you have not um, subscribed to his podcast and Instagram and stuff. He's going to give you all of that now. He's also going to let you know how you can sow into his ministry. He has a website. He has a ministry. He's based out of Virginia in the United States of America. Um, if you're a pastor or a church watching and you'd like to have him in, I strongly recommend, I highly recommend that uh, you have him in uh, for, for many services, not just one Sunday. I would do a, a week of services with him. And um, yeah, let peop- let the people know where where, where they can reach you, like for giving and, and also for social media and stuff. Yeah, of course. Well, again, I'm thankful for being on the broadcast. It was fun. It wasn't hard. It wasn't something I didn't want to do. I love talking about these things. I love talking about faith in the Word of God. Seriously, I could do it all day long. If you want to do another two hours, I'd be willing to do that, but I know we have uh, other things to do today, but uh, I genuinely mean that, by the way. But um, if you want to follow me on Instagram... My name is P.S. Shuttlesworth. It's a hard last name, uh, 13 letters, but I believe you can get it. Or you can just type in my name, Preston Shuttlesworth, and I'll pop up on Instagram. I have a Twitter now. It's the same handle as my Instagram name. And I post uh, some funny things, some serious things on there. And I just started that last month. And then for giving, uh, I do have a website. And again, um, it's my name. So... Actually, in my bio on my Instagram account, there's a link to it. But if you don't want to do that, it's just myname.com. So PrestonShuttlesworth.com. And you can give on the drop-down menu. There's a giving function through the website there. And then um, there's also Cash App and PayPal and stuff. But uh, the website is usually what people use. Um, I don't want to be that minister that gives away his Cash App name. So oh, I'll just give you the website it. today. And uh, Okay, it's... um. It's just well, Preston Shuttlesworth. You, you like a dollar sign? So I, yeah, I think on Cash App, it's always a dollar sign first. So it's dollar sign Preston Shuttlesworth. And then, um, I don't really see what else. Can we my know Venmo, what your MySpace is? Let's see. <laughs> my MySpace? Let's see if I can find that. <laughs> um, oh, Venmo. Hmm. See, we don't have any of this in Oh, here we go. No. 
Oh, you don't have Venmo but, in Canada? No, give okay, it. Well, give PayPal, it because there's many American PayPal, viewers. PayPal.com. Okay, yeah. Venmo is at Preston dash Shuttlesworth dash one. So that one's a little harder. And then PayPal is PayPal.me slash PS Shuttlesworth. How, why did you have to do you Preston Shuttlesworth? Again, my last. Is there another Preston Shuttlesworth? It was like the name they gave me, I guess. I don't know. I didn't even pick it. It just like worked out that way. I don't know. But yeah, so those are the four ways I have as of right now. Maybe one day I'll give uh, crypto <laughs> ways to give. <laughs> give XRP to give to the ministry. But um, yeah, so that's Instagram, Twitter, and then uh, giving methods. And I want to thank everyone ahead of time if you feel led to give. No pressure, obviously, but if you feel led to. I pray God blesses you for it, and I'm very thankful. That's awesome. So. I'm so thankful for you to come on. You're not, this is definitely not going to be the last time. We'll probably get you on, um, I don't know if before the end of the year, because I have a baby coming in like three weeks. But, yeah. But oh, man. definitely 2022. All Pink asks, Preston, are you related to Jonathan uh, Shuttlesworth? I am. He's my cousin. Our dads are brothers. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so... Definitely in 2022, early on, we'll have you back on. But thanks again. I love you. Have, have a great, love have you a too. great day. And I'll text you after. You too, man. Sounds good. Love you, man. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.